Late in 2015, Peter Yasik went to Sudan on behalf of Voice of the Martyrs to serve hurting people in the name of Jesus Christ. He was arrested, then charged with conspiring against the Sudanese government. They started to slap to my face. I was hit with their fist into my face uh, many times. I got hit with a wooden stick, either on my head, my shoulders, or uh, from or my fingers, or they uh, kicked me and uh, into my stomach with uh, this rod. And in the middle of being beaten for his faith in Christ, Peter became even closer to his Savior. I was really thinking about the Lord Jesus, what he had to go through when he was arrested and they also were beating him with wooden stick and they were ridiculing him, slapping him. In this moment, I could clearly see the Lord Jesus and how he suffered for us. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help, right now on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton, and uh, we're on the road this week to just have an incredible privilege and opportunity I'm sitting down with Peter Yasik. Peter was just released uh, about a week and a half ago from prison in Sudan, where he served 14 months. We could talk about Peter while he was in prison and encourage you to pray for him and pray for his family, pray for those men who were in prison with him. The part of the story that we couldn't tell at that time was that Peter is a VOM staff member. Peter is our regional director for Africa. He was in Sudan serving VOM and serving persecuted Christians there when he was arrested. This is a story that for all of us at VOM has hit very close to home. And Peter, it's just so good to see you first and see just how healthy you are and how God has blessed you. Thank you for your faithfulness and thank you for being willing to share the story here on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. It's my pleasure to be invited uh, to speak about my experiences uh, with the Lord, and uh, it's a real joy. Um, and first of all, I would like to thank to all uh, the supporters who were supporting me in their prayers, uh, not only me, but also the brothers who were arrested and imprisoned and eventually even sentenced with me in Sudan. I want to talk first, Peter, about the, the situation. Uh, getting arrested. This is something, obviously, you've been working for VOM a long time. You've traveled in and out of, of hostile and restricted nations. But this story kind of goes back to October of 2015. There's a meeting in Addis Ababa that you went to. What, what was the focus of that meeting and why were you there? On October 19th through 23rd, 2015, uh, there was a conference in Addis Ababa uh, about Sudan. I don't even remember exactly what was the name, but basically it was meeting fellowship of the Sudanese Christians from uh, their expats and from uh, various mission workers that came to meet those people that they have already known. Some of them were new people to this group, and there were many representatives of Christian organization who were expelled from Sudan in January 2013. So you attended this meeting kind of to get a, a feel for what the situation was in Sudan, what the church was was undergoing there, 
and obviously how VOM can help. What can we do to help these Christians? So we're going to get back to that meeting, October of 2015. After that meeting, you decided to go to Sudan. And actually, some of the friends that you met at the meeting said, hey, come and visit us. We'd love to have you. So what was the purpose of your trip when you went into Sudan? Uh, one of the pastors shared information about one burnt uh, young man. He showed his pictures and also presented uh, pictures of demolished churches that recently the Sudanese government ordered to, to be demolished. And this information was were quite alarming um, for me as a representative of VOM, and that's why I uh, had some more uh, talks with uh, this brother and tried to arrange a time when I could visit him. As I travel a lot. I was not sure that when exactly I could visit him, but uh, we just exchanged our email addresses and decided that we stay in touch. I made like uh, maybe two or three more trips in, in between that time, and uh, I saw a spot um, in December that I could uh, visit him, but uh, I did not contact anyone until I clearly saw the conditions under which I could get the Sudanese visa. I realized that it was uh, very easy to get the visa for a European Union citizen, uh, you just need to have a hotel reservation and um, the airline ticket reservation. So I made this reservation and uh, traveled to the embassy. At the time, it was only in Vienna. And to my great surprise, uh, I just had to wait two hours and I got uh, my visa on the same day. It wasn't that hard to get a visa. Did you kind of feel like that was God's confirmation? Hey, I'm opening this door. Go ahead, go. Did you have any second thoughts about, hey, this is a strongly Islamic country. It's a country that's led by an indicted war criminal. Did it worry you at all to go to Sudan? You know, as I got this visa so easily, I do not remember that I would be worried. Uh, of course, I knew that the regime in Sudan is uh, very anti-Christian <clears throat> and that the president of uh, Sudan is an internationally wanted uh, war criminal. I knew that, but when you get the visa on arrival at the embassy, this seems to be like a very easy-going country from this perspective. And so you went to Sudan in December of 2015. You had your meetings. You were able to deliver some help for this student who had been burned. I don't want to go into too much detail about what you were doing there because I didn't know there is still some security issues involved in that. Then you went to the airport to fly home. What happened? Uh, you know, uh, before my departure from the hotel, as I was aware that my stuff may go to be searched, uh, I uh, deleted uh, some of the sensitive photos from my camera. I also, all kinds of receipts that I had, I also uh, took photos of them and stored them in a secure uh, location. And I left uh, for the hotel and uh, everything seemed to be very easy. I arrived, I w um, went to the check-in counter of the airline company that I was uh, supposed to fly with and got all the boarding passes for my journey home. The moment of a surprise was when uh, I was going to the passport control and suddenly someone uh, taps on my shoulder and uh, in a broken English tells me that he is from a Sudanese security and that I'm supposed to follow him. So at that point, how worried were you? 
At first I thought it might be just a routine uh, check that I have experienced in other countries as well. They usually search your bags. Just uh, They want to know whether you are not taking a lot of money out of the country because uh, many countries are worried about that. So I went with them uh, to a special room at the airport in the airport hall and uh, I was not worried that much at, at that time yet. So at what point did you realize this is more than just a routine questioning? They're, they're pretty serious. When they started to ask me for my laptop, my camera, my phone, all my uh, hard, external hard drives, uh, I look at the watch and I realize that the time is getting very tight before my departure. The major problem was that they did not spoke um, uh, very good English. I tried other languages, uh, French, Russian, German, but they did not understand uh, any of these. And uh, one thing that was very clear, they wanted um, my laptop, my camera, my phone, and all the hard drives that I had with me and any uh, SD cards and things like that. Um, I opened, uh, you know, I, I gave them uh, these uh, for whatever they wanted to do with it, uh, look at that, but it was quite clear that um, uh, they wanted to keep them. And then I did not uh, agree with that, and uh, I decided uh, just to take uh, these back uh, to my bag, and uh, they didn't allow me that. When they searched my bag, and uh, uh, as I travel a lot, I always travel with two passports. Uh, I actually have three legally owned Czech uh, Republic passports, and uh, for security reasons, I always travel with two, just in case I lose one or someone steals one, I have another one that is hidden either on my body or in my bag. Normally, when I am already on the on the way to the airport, I do not have the second passport uh, hidden on my body. I have it uh, in the other place uh, in my bag. So when they found this second passport, I think that was for them at least the last drop. Uh, uh, and then they started to be convinced that I'm a spy or something like that. Because who else needs two passports? <laughs> it's, it's clearly something's going on there. So they began to get a little more uh, insistent in their questioning. And, and what did they want to know? Uh, they were also asking me what was the purpose, uh, you know, the, what I understood uh, with their English. So I was... I insist and I uh, insisted and I was kept telling them that I'm a tourist and I showed them my tourist visa. But uh, as a answer to that, uh, they started to show me right at the airport some of the photos where I could clearly see that they were following me on every day, every meeting. They even had the photos that were apparently photos uh, from the night vision because uh, the color was like these uh, typical uh, greenish uh, gray uh, photos. And and uh, then I realized that it is really getting very serious because they had all these photos and they were showing it to me, uh, trying to show me that uh, I am not a tourist, that I had uh, another purpose of my visit. So pretty much from the time you landed, they had been following you around. Uh, later on, when I had discussion with other Sudanese people and even with uh, the fellow uh, imprisoned brothers, I got the, I was almost convinced I have been followed uh, 
from the very moment I entered the country and that they already had information about me uh, from Addis Ababa, from the conference. When I look back to this conference, I remember that uh, there were Sudanese security guys uh, present at the lobby and uh, maybe they even had uh, someone at the conference who uh, had informed them uh, in a very detailed way about uh, the attendees of this conference and so on and so forth. So later that night, they transferred you to a prison, which you later found was a prison owned and run by the Sudanese Security Service, which is basically above the law in Sudan. They are the law. They can do whatever they want. Were you starting at any point along this way to kind of panic and be like, "Uh uh-oh, this is really bad? I think it was 23 hours exactly till decided to transfer me to this uh, prison that is called like a security prison. It is in the part of the capital city called Bahri. And when we entered the building uh, of the prison, there was no sign. So I realized it's a kind of secret prison. There was a procedure of admission to this prison. Uh, you know, ask, they asked me a lot of questions about my family, my address. They asked even about um, the time when I was going to school, primary school, secondary school, university, all kinds of questions. That guy spoke a little better English, but even uh, at that time, it, it took a lot of time. So they took my photos like a really a, a prisoner from the front and from the side. So. At that time, I started to think that it will not be just for one night. It uh, looked like it will be for uh, a longer time. What was going on in your spirit during that time? Were, were you were you praying? Were you thinking, this is not good? Tell me what your mindset was. I was uh, certainly praying all the time. I was even praying when they were searching uh, all my stuff, uh, all the, my luggage. Uh, <clears throat> actually, they uh, only occasionally asked me some questions. Otherwise, they were just uh, having my two bags, my carry-on bags and my uh, big bag and my computer bag. And uh, only occasionally they came to me and asked me some questions. When it got too late, I started just to answering them uh, to their question only with the sentence that I want to contact my family, I want to contact my embassy. And they just did not allow me to do that. So when I entered uh, the prison, prison cell, there was something very interesting that I remembered. Yeah, I want to talk about that because they put you in a cell and they closed the door and you had seen the door before. So talk a little bit about that because I think this is just an amazing part of the story. I think that the Lord had been preparing me for this time in prison uh, a long time ago. You know, on May 19, 2013, so I could say more than two years before this imprisonment, I had a dream. I remember our church uh, was going to visit another church in our congregation about um, 150 kilometers far from our town. And uh, on that night, I had a very important dream, which... uh, uh, was uh, not very nice, uh, you know, the information that I saw in this dream, because uh, in that dream I appeared to be in a prison. And I saw clearly, you know, a very heavy and thick metal door with a little window, uh, maybe 12 times uh, 20 centimeters. And uh, I remember the color of this door, which was a kind of yellowish-white 
And in, in that dream, I clearly heard, you know, the click of this door when uh, they got closed and locked at the same time. And another thing that was very important at this, in this dream was that my daughter at that time, in uh, 2013, was already studying a medical school. I think she was in uh, the third year of the medical school. And in that dream, when I was in, uh, in prison, I knew that... Uh, I'm in prison at the same time when my daughter is graduating at this medical school. And this dream uh, alerted me so much and uh, disturbed me actually so much that <clears throat> when we arrived to the other city, uh, when uh, we were supposed to visit our, our church in our congregation, one of our elders uh, met me. And uh, he looked at me and immediately realized that I was very much concerned about something. So he asked me, Peter, are you all right? And I said, oh, yes, I'm all right. I didn't want to share this dream with anyone. I didn't share this dream, not even with my wife at that time. And I told him I'm all right, but I was, uh, it was obvious on me that something happened to me. And this uh, dream disturbed me so much that I started to ask myself, what could be the reason that I would show up in prison and be arrested and imprisoned? And I was uh, kind of uh, asking myself, do I do all my IRS report correctly? Do I uh, declare everything what I receive? You know, what can be the other reason that I would uh, end up in prison? And I did not find any reason actually for that. And uh, later on, I forgot about this dream. But in the moment, when I was put into this cell, into the security prison, and I heard the click of the door, uh, I immediately remembered this dream. And uh, the door that I saw looked exactly like the one I saw in the dream in, on May 19, 2013. When I remembered the dream, I also remembered that my daughter was graduating at the medical school. So to be honest with you, at that time, I did not even think about that detail of a dream. It, it came only later than when I realized that when my daughter uh, really graduated uh, at the medical school in uh, uh, June uh, 2016, I remember that. And when uh, her graduation came closer, I realized that uh, if this dream uh, should be fulfilled, then it means that I was supposed to stay in prison until she graduates and even maybe after that uh, time. So when you saw that door and when it, it immediately came to your mind, wait a minute, I've seen this door before, did you feel like, thank you, Lord, that you warned me? Or did you feel like, uh-oh, <laughs> now I, I had this dream that I was going to prison and now here I am. How did you process that? I didn't think about the, that uh, in that uh, details. I remember that I have seen this door and I, somehow it was a kind of confirmation uh, that uh, the Lord had warned me about uh, the coming uh, situation and maybe he was preparing me uh, for this. But uh, there were many other things in this cell, especially, you know, the way how the cell was crowded uh, and uh, I was meeting new people in this cell. So uh, basically I did not have uh, that much time to think about the details of that dream, but uh, I just uh, remember that and saw it uh, like uh, a kind of very interesting warning from the Lord or alert uh, from the Lord uh, for this new situation that happened in my life. And so they put you in a cell, and as you've described it to me, it's a cell designed for one person, but there were already six guys in there, and then they put you in. So now there's seven. 
as you came to discover, these were not nice guys. <laughs> these, these were not people that a Christian wants to share a cell with. Who were your cellmates? I arrived to this cell at about 1.30 a.m., so this is a time when, <clears throat> under normal circumstances, people would sleep. So the guards, when they opened the cell and uh, put me into the cell, uh, basically all these uh, people uh, woke up because of me. So this is the first uh, unpleasant thing, that uh, when people get woken up at night, and uh, the whole floor was already occupied by them, so they had to squeeze a little bit so that they would create some small room for me to lay down on the floor. There was only one bed uh, that was already occupied by the old serving uh, prisoner in that cell. So they just uh, made a little space on the floor and I had no blanket. I only had uh, a few pieces of clothes like two extra t-shirts and one extra uh, pants uh, and, a, and a toothbrush, toothpaste and a soap. Uh, that that was all. And so they showed me the, the small space on the floor and said just uh, lay down here and one of the guys who he spoke some English so he said just uh, lay down here and cover with your other uh, t-shirts. Uh, later on, I tried to ask the guards when they came again, and uh, whether, because I saw the, all the other people have blankets, some of them uh, have even mattresses, and they said, "Oh no, you will not get any blanket because you are from Czech Republic, and uh, there is you are used to cold weather. You should be all right." So they did not give me any blanket. So I uh, lay down on the floor. With, there were floor tiles, so it was very cold. And I just put uh, some stuff like uh, on, under my head, like the extra pants. I rolled them in, in a roll and put them under my head and uh, covered uh, with one t extra T-shirt. I covered my uh, legs and with the other T-shirt, I covered my the rest of my body. And I tried to fall asleep. Um, I was not really sleeping. It was kind of like... A, thinking a lot about new situation, but uh, maybe later I got some sleep, uh, but uh, very early in the morning when it was still dark, it could be like some time like 5, 5.30, there was the first azan for uh, the, the call for prayer. And uh, after that, immediately all the people started to wake up and I had to wake up as well with them uh, to make room in this small cell for them to pray. So the call to prayer sounds, all six of your cellmates are suddenly praying fervently, and you realize, okay, every one of these guys is a, apparently a pretty serious Muslim. I'm a Christian. Uh, how's this going to go? Did, were you starting to worry? Did you feel fearful? Or did you just think, okay, Lord, we're, we're going to need some help? Uh, I was used, I have traveled a lot to the Muslim countries, so I anticipated that all of them will be Muslims, uh, so I was not afraid. But they told me, you know, showed me a place uh, behind them where I was supposed to stand while they were praying. The, the rule is that me as a Christian, I have to stay behind them so that they would not look at me while they are praying. 
And uh, so I respected that and I was standing behind them while they were praying. And when they finished the first morning prayer, the guy who spoke some English started to ask me what was the reason I was arrested and where, I'm, where, where I was from. At first, I did not have an idea uh, what uh, are the reasons uh, for each one of them to be arrested. It came up day by day, slowly. And uh, at first, uh, those people who were, I would say, political prisoners, uh, those, for instance, uh, were innocent traders with flour and they were arrested because they uh, were traveling outside of the capital city with uh, amount of flour that was uh, very low. So there were some people who were trading with gold. Uh, maybe it was an unofficial trade, but uh, they were only trading with gold. There were some people who were changing money on the black market. Um, so uh, these people uh, were the first ones who told me uh, through this interpreter what was the reason. Basically, it was this guy who spoke English that who was telling me what these uh, uh, normal people, and I will explain it why I call them normal later, uh, were uh, arrested for. And then the rest of the people, I got a little bit later, they said that uh, they are uh, Daesh. Uh, this is uh, they when they say that they are very proud of that that they are Daesh and uh, and just for our listeners Daesh is the Arabic acronym for ISIS so these are ISIS fighters that are in the prison so I realized that <clears throat> they are uh, either uh, Daesh members or uh, those who sympathized with them uh, there are people who tried to travel to Syria through Turkey and help the Daesh people. Uh, there were also Daesh people who were involved in uh, the smuggling of the weapons, not only f uh, for Daesh people in Syria or Libya, but uh, also to Europe, where these people are uh, hidden and they're just waiting for their time to uh, strike. And one of the things that happened you know, shortly after you got into this cell uh, your cellmates asked you, you know, hey, we're in prison. We don't really know what's going on in the world. Do you have any news? What, what's happening? You told them a story that that was big news at the time. Tell us that story and then tell us how they responded to that. Yeah, uh, you know, they, there are no newspapers uh, in this uh, prison. Uh, some people are not even allowed to meet with their relatives for months, even like uh, the pastors that were arrested. We, uh, for instance, uh, they for the period of five months, they were not able to talk uh, or meet with their families. So there is a lack of information. There are no news, uh, not only from their families, but no news about what is going on in Sudan, no news what is going on in uh, in the world. And so they asked me, what is new in the world? Tell us something. You are just a fresh prisoner. So I said, oh, I, you know, freshly remembered the situation that happened uh, the month November in France, where on uh, Friday, uh, November 13th, the several coordinated attacks uh, by the Islamists, uh, I think 129 people were killed. And so I told them this story. When I finished and I said 129 people killed, they stopped me and they started to immediately shout Allahu Akbar unisono and for several minutes and I was really scared by that but immediately I knew that uh, what kind of guys uh, were with me in the cell uh, even though at that time they did not yet announce uh, uh, that they are Daesh people that was the first before uh, they started to tell their stories. 
So you tell a story of an ISIS attack in Paris, more than 100 people killed, and their response is to stand up and shout, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar. That, that would have scared me. Yeah, it was. I got scared as well, and I realized uh, that these people must be, you know, maybe secret uh, supporters or members of Daesh. And I stopped telling them any more news. I said no, because I, I heard some other news, but I decided not to tell them any more news because that scared me in this moment. We've been hearing from Peter Yasik, a Voice of the Martyrs staff member who went to Sudan on behalf of VOM and was arrested in that country. He was cut off from his family and imprisoned in 2015, and he was just released literally a few weeks ago. I had the opportunity to travel to Peter's native Czech Republic last week to meet with Peter and capture his story for you here on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. If you missed any of this conversation, I hope you'll hear every word by visiting our website, vomradio.net. You'll also find other stories there of believers who are willing to risk everything for the sake of Jesus Christ. Again, that web address is vomradio.net. Next week, Peter's going to share some more of his story. We'll hear about some of the amazing plans that God had for him in prison and some of the spiritual lessons that Peter learned while he was there. You won't want to miss that. So come back and join us next week right here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.